Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. Could we have a polyamorous world? My guest in this episode is Libro Levi Bridgman, a writer, performer, the editor of Hot Pencil Press, and a solo poly person. Libro's been on quite the journey with sex since the 80s, from Butch Dyke to non-binary legend, and lots in between. Libro's story is one of periodic monogamy, gender-affirming surgery, caring for others, and the freedom that can arrive in your 50s. They are provocative, inclusive, and dead entertaining. (laughs) I love discussing with them how a free sex world would empower people to be the gender they are, and not force polyamorous people to say why they're coming to the dinner party with this partner instead of that one. Any poly people out there? And anyone else? Let me and Libro know what you think of our conversation. Here it is. Hello, I'm here with Libro Levi Bridgman. Welcome to Free Sex, Libro. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me, as they say. It's great to it's great to have you. So we uh, actually bumped into each other in a bookshop a few months ago, and we ended up talking very excitedly. I think there was free wine about mm. uh, about sex, basically. And I said, "Hold that thought, because I'm going to come back to you for an interview for the podcast that I'm developing." And now here we are. So my question to you is: What does free sex mean to you, Libro? 
I suppose, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I suppose for me, just in terms of my own personal journey and stuff, uh, free sex means being free inside your own gender identity. And I can talk a little bit uh, about that a little bit later on because I've had several iterations. Um, and, and sort of engaging with somebody else who's also free inside their gender identity um, in terms of sexuality, that's also a big topic that we'll touch on as well. And, and I suppose consensual sex with joy, possibility, ethics and curiosity. Oh, I love that. Joy, possibility, ethics and curiosity. Yes. I think if I had four children, those would be their names. Oh, my God. Well, that <laughs> might happen one day. Can you imagine? Life is long and complicated. OK, well, let's jump into it then. Um, so maybe tell me a bit more about this point about the self, because mm. I think we think of free, of sex as like a thing with another person or, mm. or, the, or involving other people. But you mentioned a few things there that are about yourself and how you feel about yourself. So say more. Yeah, I mean, I think when we talk about sex, invariably, we're talking about sex with another person or other people. And I think mm. also there's a kind of a whole area that maybe we don't look at and you know I'm assigned female at birth and I think there's a you know there's a sort of an area of conversation that maybe we don't talk about sex sex with ourselves as in masturbation and Mm -hmm. um, pleasuring ourselves on our own terms in the privacy of whatever space we might be in but also I think there's a um, there's a sort of um, um a space where we talk about just feeling certainly for me I've gone through a, a, a sort of a gender transition in some shape mm-hmm. or form so there's a there's a feeling of how your conversation with your own self as a being as a sexual being um mm-hmm. ha- can also take on different iterations as as we go through time and space so what are, are those you, iterations yeah. that that you've experienced then? Well, I was, as I say, I was assigned female at birth and I was given a name and I was raised as a girl child and inside my family, I, I had two older brothers. So my mum was mm. completely overexcited to have a female <laughs> child. And I was sort of shoved in dresses and my hair was long and mm-hmm. pink and flowers mm. and dolls and dolls. It was all that kind of, a, so, it, and actually from dot, from jump, I was always resisting that Mm. um, and screaming my head off and shouting. And then I was kind of classified as a tomboy and people Mm. were misgendering me throughout uh, my childhood. Mm. Um, And then I came out um, when I was 20. In 1987, I came out and came to London and went to drama school and started uh, that kind of um, thinking about myself as an artist or as a performer and, Mm. and later on as a writer. Um, and I, so then I kind of was describing myself as a dyke, I guess, a lesbian, a right. dyke, um, a baby butch. I was always very masculine yeah. presenting. Because um, yeah, those are like sexuality terms, but they have a yes. gender included inside them, don't they? Exactly. Like, yeah. As a, exactly as a word. Right. Yeah. And I just suppose I was, I always kind of looked and felt like that, but I didn't have the term for it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of coming out and I didn't know any queer people when I came out and I started volunteering at the London Lesbian and Gay Centre, mm-hmm. moving the chairs for the lesbian disco, moving the chairs from the middle of the room to the side of the room for the lesbian disco. Obviously, this is pre-internet, and so yeah. everything was in time and space and being with other people in time and space. Um, but actually kind of moving, you know, I was then in a very long-term monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 17 years um, 
with my with my ex-partner and I was raising my son so my ex-partner mm-hmm. had a child when we first met so I was raising my son so I was in that time and space in that sort of iteration and then since would you have would you have thought of that as free sex at the time just to kind of sit uh, I with suppose that, in era, terms of that in terms of the way that I presented you know I was always yeah. presenting as mask and I was always uh, attracted yeah. to femme femme dykes um, yeah. Kinky queer femmes has have like for all time been my thing, my litmus. Yeah. Um, so I think then I was inside the construct or a paradigm of a relationship and raising my son, and that was really mm-hmm. important to me. And it was, you know, prior to that, I'd got kind of been having sex with various different people, never stayed in anything very long. Mm-hmm. But I was 25 by the time that I uh I I, I met my former partner and started raising my son. So I became a, mm-hmm. I was a young parent as well. Yeah. So I was kind of in that space. And then since our breakup, which is coming up 14 years now, I've had lots of different um, relationship structures, really. I've been in open relationships um, with a primary partner. Mm -hmm. uh, And then I've been in monogamous relationships. Um, But in terms of my gender identity, that took a specific um, turn in about 2016 when I had top surgery. Right. Uh, and then I'd start to define as non-binary. Okay. And um, that's that lands us where you are today, would you yeah, say? Yeah, I still define as non-binary. I use, in terms of pronoun use, I used to use they, them, and also she, her, but I've now dropped the she, her, so it's they, okay. them pronouns for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I'll stay with that. Now. So I'm really interested in how the, you talk about all of these things as interconnected because I think gender is something that is very kind of in like inside us um like specific to how we feel about ourselves and then sex is obviously this like external thing even if you're doing it with yourself yeah (laughs) but usually it's this external thing that involves other people and relies on their perception of what your gender is so you kind of talk about this in the round (laughs) and um so I'm just really interested in how uh the the ch- the changes that you've gone through these journeys that you've gone through like how has all that informed what you think of as free sex then to be where you are now yeah i mean i i, I guess i would always go back to th- this this idea that you you're starting with yourself mm-hmm. uh in mm-hmm. terms of you know my physicality in having sex just talking from my own experience like pre-top surgery, I was having, you know, I've always felt kind of, and I know the the butch and the and the masculine experience, assigned female at birth, but masculine experience, it can the 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 body can be quite a complicated body. Yeah. Um uh, but I've always felt relatively inside my body and going to yeah. acting college and working with the body and working inside character, I've always kind of felt inside my body. Um, but I think for me, certainly in terms of having top surgery and stuff like that, it felt like I was doing something very specific with my body to get closer to feeling like, I don't know, free as in liberated, as in being a yeah. naked person inside a bed, you know, potentially with one or several other people who might be clothed or naked and everybody yeah. feeling um, yeah, this term that I would use is kind of, um, yeah, feeling like that you're at one with who you're mm. meant to be in a physical mm. space. I think I would have sex with people prior to top surgery and I would always potentially cover my chest mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, you know, use a binder or a sports bra to cover my chest. 
And now I don't have to do that. And in yeah. terms of aerodynamics, um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a top, so I'm active. Yeah. So in terms of aerodynamics, it, not having breasts, and I had quite, right. quite sizable breasts, it, it, it feels I have a, um, I'm in a space of liberation that I maybe wasn't before 2016. And there's nothing there anymore holding you back. Yeah, there's that's the, how that's the aerodynamics point. I think it, aerodynamics is use, is a funny word for it, but it's about what's it's about what's like causing you to lag or like hold back. Isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. And I think now times have changed. So I think prior, I might have like being on on and off several different dating sites or whatever. Maybe prior, I would have felt that I needed to front load that and tell somebody yeah. who potentially was interested in meeting me or whatever that I have, have had top surgery. And now I just feel with inside a conversation that even before meeting anybody, it feels like there's maybe an assumption that you might have had top surgery. So now mm. I kind of feel that that's sort of fallen away from just from mm. use of uh, language and, mm. and in conversation. So I think times have shifted and I think people that I either date or see or are currently having kind of conversations with tend to be younger people. I'm 56. Mm -hmm. I'll be 57 this year. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people that I know are either had surgery, are thinking about having surgery, maybe doing a fundraiser in order to get money yeah. to have surgery or are going via the National Health Service and are able to, you know, fortunately yeah. we have them that still have just about the National Health Service and are able to get a procedure that way. So I think yeah. in terms of that, I think there's a, there's a conversation in around people who, like myself who are, might be non-binary as in sign female at birth, but non-binary that you would be in a space of considering surgery, potentially yeah. having had surgery, and yeah. I think a few years back, that wasn't as common. It wasn't. And it's it's interesting thing to, to track for me and for free sex, because mm. it feels like one of the, yes, it's about gender, but because it's about the body and the, the way that it's perceived, it is also about sex as in like intercourse, um, you know, like the action of sex. And, and it's interesting how like a lot of the people who are, the people that you're talking about who are having or considering top surgery, it feels like it's like that is the result of them thinking about sex and about the sex that they want to have. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And the bodies that they want to have and exactly. the bodies yeah, that which they relies need. on the body that they want to yeah, have exactly. yeah, to feel like aerodynamic. Yeah. The bodies that they want to have and also the gen like getting close to the gender that they 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 feel they need to be, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of in terms of that um can i ask you about um something rooted in your history in performance mm. um well i mean it's ongoing but um because you you know you come from that world and like you i think you said something earlier about always feeling um in your body and mm. like ex exploring your body using your body and that's a very much a performer mm. thing to do and you know you if you're trained then like you really get trained in in that um I'm going to do, I'm about to do an improv course, Libro, soon. Oh my because God. Uh, I just want to do a bit more with my body. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and obviously Fantastic. I think I'm hilarious. Um, so uh, so I'm going to go and be a, be a giraffe on a cruise ship or whatever um, in an improv course. Anyway, and but it's about being in the body. And so like, yeah, if you go through training, then you learn to do that. But I think, so your history in training in mm. the body and performance mm. and your own interests about the sex and the gender stuff about for yourself and then also your 
your general character, like observing people mm. um, and their bodies. I'm wondering if over the 30 odd years that you've been, you know, having sex, whether you've um, whether you would describe yourself as someone who's observed the the capacity that your partners have for being in their body because you're conscious of it for yourself mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering whether you like whether that's something in insects that like you notice this person oh they're not really comfortable in their body or they're not um sharing their body in a way that suggests that yeah I mean I think, think it, and I think a, a lot of the time is it sort of takes a bit of bravery doesn't it and certainly mm-hmm. when you're first sort of engaging with someone sexually you don't know them so well yeah. I do think in poly spaces that there's a sort of a feeling of intentionality so people are yeah. talking about um even if it's like you know one of the first things I said about curiosity sometimes you're like yeah I'd be curious to try this mm-hmm. thing I've never done it I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's going to work for me but I have a desire or I'm thinking mm-hmm. about so sometimes it's getting into those spaces I think um um when I've had initial connections with people sometimes it's been quite pragmatic in terms of should we draw up a contract and say yeah. I might be interested yeah. in these things I definitely wouldn't be interested in these things yeah um you know in a very kind of like broad brushstroke, a very sort of negative experiences where you could be potentially coerced into yeah. something. Like I'm, I'm not a switch, so I would yeah. say to somebody, don't try and do X, Y, and Z to me because it ain't going to happen. Yeah, and you'll have a bad time, and I certainly won't be, you know, up for it. Yeah. So I think sometimes it's a question of being quite brave and front loading things. Yeah, and but sometimes yeah. we're also curious about certain things, but it's because we're curious, it might not necessarily. It could pan out and be a fantastic exploration, but it also could be something that doesn't quite match or figure yeah. out. And I think sometimes it's just about being, yeah, a little bit of risk and saying, yeah, I I've really been reading up about this, or somebody told me about this activity and I might be interested in exploring that but I don't know what what it's going to raise for me do you know yeah. what I mean so and have some... you noticed more people with that footing as you've been moving more and more in in the in the poly yeah you know polyamorous world yeah and I think in, in, in another podcast of yours that I listened to you talked about the app field and I think it was a friend of mine who told me I think I've been on field for I don't know about a year and a half or two years or something and a friend of mine first sort of mentioned it to me who's who's sort of a a, a poly person, much younger person than me, but a poly has been poly for many years and actually would subscribe to um, don't think monogamy works. I don't feel like that. I think monogamy works, polyamory works in various different levels of degree and success for different people at different times. So I'm not kind of a hard and fast rule on that. But what I really like about that and appreciate about the, the going on an app like field of fat life is another one I think where you can kind of just be very intentional and I think mm-hmm. still think people who are a fab are sort of exploring that I do think if you're assigned uh, male at birth mm-hmm. you sort of feel that maybe there's a more confidence mm-hmm. or more ability to articulate what you might be interested in exploring mm-hmm. sexually who you are sexually uh, what you need and what yeah. you want and I still think it you know for lots of different societal reasons People that are AFAB sort of have more difficulty doing that. But I do think with apps like that, the intentionality and people can have, you know, profiles that are really short. I'm interested in that. I want to do this. I'm not sure about that. And very terse. And so I think your initial engagement with someone already feels like 
you don't have to do the coffee and the mean a meal yeah. and then yeah. date free, you find out X, Y, and Z. Yeah. People can actually front load, say, what I want to do are these five things if and I'm interested in these types of people and see if there's a match. And you like that. You 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 would say that that's a good that that's going to help us get to a world of free sex that people I th- can use for them. In personally, and I know yeah. some people find it a bit jarring and a bit like, yeah. oh, that fi- like feels a bit cold and a bit yeah. too, like the transactional thing I think is, for me, I find it quite boundaried and exciting, but I'm okay. kind of yeah. someone who would bearably, I don't like, I'm okay to go out on dates and meet people. I don't find, like some people find that really nerve wracking and never, I generally would go out and meet people and find that quite an enjoyable experience per se. So I find the transactionality of that kind of approach really healthy and constructive. Other people might find that quite cold. And, um, but I think it, for me personally, it's been really helpful. Right. Yeah. And exciting. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Would you say that you are, at your core, a non-monogamous person? I think, I mean, that's a brilliant question. I think I've, when I've had those times and spaces, and as I said, I was in a 17-year monogamous relationship, I think that's the only relationship I could have had at that time in that paradigm. Okay. Um, I, I was looking over my life and just think I've had 26 years of frontline caring during the time that I've been out. So I was looking after my son. I looked after my mum when she got Alzheimer's and she passed yeah. in 2019. So I think in terms of raising my son or look, the time that I was looking after my mum and I was in a, um, a long distance relationship at the time, I don't yeah. think I would have had space to be okay. non-monogamous yeah. or poly. Yeah. But now I don't have any blood family. I have a brother, but we're estranged. Okay. I don't have any blood family. I don't have any of those like frontline caring responsibilities. I'm now yeah. in a space of, I feel like I'm Benjamin Button or something, that I'm living my <laughs> life backwards. And now in a, a space of feeling like I have more time and more energy because yeah. I don't have those frontline responsibilities. Yeah. So that I can explore different relationship types. Right, I see. Okay, and that and that is really interesting because there's a side point here, which means I need to now do an episode with someone about <laughs> about care and about how you know if we want to get to a world of free sex, mm. um, how much does having caring responsibilities, including those that we want to have, you know, yes. people want to look after their kids, raise yeah, their kids, yeah, totally, you know, um, but it nevertheless it does have an impact on the amount of sex that they might want to have I think yeah I think sort of you're for me personally it is only a personal thing because obviously you can have poly people that are raising children together or people that are in care you know caregiving responsibilities with aging parents or you know sick partners or whatever that are in poly poly lifestyles and life structures already I think for me personally I would have found that hard and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's sort of naturally poly 
ethical non-monogamous and who said, you know, that we should, in an ideal world, we would all be like that. And I sort mm-hmm. of bounced back and I said, I don't think mm-hmm. I could have done it in mm-hmm. those, th- those 26 years that I've just referred That's to. That's interesting because I think a lot of people now, because people are talking more about ethical non-monogamy mm. and being polyamorous, um, being solo poly, all these things. And, um, you know, obviously now that more and more people are talking about it, there are more and more definitions of all of these things. Yes. But also I think that a lot of people can feel it as a pressure. They feel it from people who are, you know, currently or basically non-monogamous, like someone like you or someone like me, they, they, they often, sometimes people have the perception that like, we're trying to tell them to be non-monogamous. Oh yeah. Or we're trying to like say like, oh, this is the best way to be. And they feel it as like a pressure. Um, And I think that that's just because it's kind of been popularized recently. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that. And I think there's a lot, lots of that's kind of misunderstood. You know, somebody who's the same age as me said, "Oh, I just," you know, he was saying to me, "Oh, but you know, he's a he's a gay guy." He's saying, "Oh, but back in the day, we would have just called that shagging about." <laughs> like, <laughs> no, he's not shagging. Do you know what I mean? So the intentionality is important. Right. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think you're right. People are talking about it more. But I do think poly people, what you, what's essentially what can be difficult is you don't get that affirmation from society Mm. per se you know you rock up to an event and you go this is my partner or this is you know the person that I married or whatever and everybody goes okay that's your person and you kind of get some um, I don't know some kind of a level of respect or a a level of context for your relationship but if you have several partners and you go well I'm going to bring so and so to this party but next week when I attend that I don't know, concert that I'm going to go yeah. with a whole bunch. I'm going to take somebody else. It, yeah. You know, you can invariably get people that are a bit freaked out by it or they don't understand. It's like, which yeah. person is more important to you? Which person should we get to know better? Which, yeah. do you know what I mean? So it can. Have you had that? With, I think a few friends. wobbles people kind of go well we we don't know what to do you know mates of mine who might be monogamous or married or whatever it's like yeah. well we don't really know what to do we don't really know what to do with all the information it's a bit too complicated I don't yeah. want to get to know that person because I know your previous partner better so there seems right. to be a little bit of um it's a little bit bouncy I think and what do you make of that well, sometimes I find it. I find sometimes people have certain loyalties to certain mm-hmm. partners, or mm-hmm. they can get into the space of, oh, but you know, people sort of say to me, "But well, which one do you prefer?" Which is your, and it's like, well, that's not. Do you know what I mean? It's not that helpful. And sometimes I would just do certain things with certain people because it kind of makes my life easier, and yeah. I don't want to be sitting there having to explain. Yeah you know what my relationship dynamics are. I don't think that's helpful or or pleasant for anybody. Do you know what I mean? You just want to get on with your life. And I do think the what works, and I think I read it somewhere on a blog before I kind of had the term solo poly in my head, and it was a guy that written it. I think it was a, a bisexual guy who'd written it, and he was saying that what he found good about the solo poly experience is you can kind of look at your own life in a different way and your relationship with self becomes more a priority. But also then you don't put a lot of pressure on the person that you're dating because you can kind of accept them face value for who they are. And when you're in a monogamous relationship, you might 
potentially have a tendency to go, oh, I'm a bit frustrated because my partner's great on all these things, but there yeah. are other things I wish they were more like this or I wish they were more yeah. like that or I wish we could do these things together. And actually you don't need to do that. You can just go, this person is in my life and we do, potentially you do totally separate things with different yeah. people because yeah. I can only go, I mean, I'm not a rock climber, but I use that as an example. I'll only go rock climbing with this person because that's mm. absolutely what you know, what they're into and we can share that activity together and I can yeah. do other things with other people. And I think that's think, where it separates out. Do you really think well. we, yeah, I think, and that's, that's quite clear to me. Yes. I wonder whether that's clear to the people who are asking you, Oh, who's the, this partner that you're bringing to this event? Whereas I saw you with this other partner at a previous yeah. event. Like, how do we explain it to those? Well, okay. Should we, should we care about explaining it to those people? Do we just say, look, this is so-and-so she's here with me today. Like, is yeah. she welcome or not? You know, or, sh- or, or should we have that responsibility of explaining that? Yeah, I don't them, think, do think, I mean, it's how? like, you know, it's, well, we've had that as queer people, haven't we, all the time? Yeah, it's like, it well, just, when did you find out you were, and it's like, well, yeah. when did you find out you were straight? I mean, what's yeah. going on? So I do think, you know, at that point, you just go, Google is your friend. And I'm not, I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I will not be here to sort of break it down. I just try and yeah. do that, you know, just kind of, oh, yeah, if I, like, I held, we held a party in the in the apartment, I don't know, just a couple of days after Christmas. And it's like, just send out, you know, invites to people. It's like, bring whoever you want to bring, you know, bring a partner, partners, however the sort of dynamic is breaking up for you. And I think it's the more people that I engage with who are kind of doing it, that the less sort of stigma there is attached. I mean, they're always going to have people, you know, from your life who've kind of seen you with one person more sort of regularly who get, get a bit more attached. But I think people are getting in queer circles slightly better at not doing that. But also I think it's not our space or place. Yeah. To be like over explaining or over analyzing or yeah. carrying people, like take somebody by their hand and take them through, you know, the journey yeah. of your solo yeah. polyamory or whatever. Exactly. Because also, I think it that forces um, us into a position of uh, basically talking about ourselves and our sex lives and how we view all of these things, which are important to us. But then it, but then sometimes those people turn around and say, well, you're just, you lot are just obsessed. You're just obsessed yes. with sex yes. and you're obsessed with like creating a different way of living and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're, we're only obsessed about it because you're kind of obsessed with the fact that we're not doing something in the normal way. So that forces us to be obsessed with it and express it and communicate it, it, and in, a, in a different it. way. Yeah, no, totally. Um, <laughs> I also think also if you're kind of non-binary or trans or you, you're yeah. often being challenged about your gender identity. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I'm not going to explain my gender to you. Yeah. I don't, you know, in a workplace, you might have to do that or do yeah. you know what I mean? In, in some kind of like, I don't know, with your family, you might have to do that. You know, a friend of mine yeah. went back to their family sort of prior to Christmas and had to explain a name change and had to, and yeah. you're kind of there alone. And you've got, I don't know, five or six cis, cis people around the table. And it's kind of like, we also shouldn't set ourselves up for a fail either because we need to support ourselves yeah. If we make a decision about what we're, what we're doing with our gender and we shouldn't be put in a position where we have to constantly, you know, confirm who we are or affirm who we are because somebody's yeah. going to undermine us or attack us or whatever. And I do think that in terms of our relationship structures, you know. Yeah. And there are certain it, things just also not to answer. 
who knows? Yeah, and so I'm just thinking of our big leading question here about what what does free sex mean and what would it take for us to get to a free sex world? Like, it seems like, you know, there we we have to have the the space and the the time to explore like what how we feel about our body, explore mm. what we want to do with our body, and you know, um, and our gender and everything like that. Um, that's like that internal work, and then, but also there's this there's this need for like um, we as a as a society as a whole need to like just be open to different ways that different people do this and not be. Um, you know, not interrogate too much, you know, be curious, be open, but not like pressure someone to um, account for who they are or how they live or how they have sex. Yeah, you know, I I think that and I think, you know, you kind of get in this hierarchical kind of thing. And I think, you know, gay marriage is sort of a a space, you know, a place in the space that we've not talked about here this afternoon, but sort of gay marriage, then what happens is like, if you meet someone or you're dating somebody and you're serious, it's like, are you guys going to get married? So that seems yeah. to be the cutoff. It's like your relationship will be, t- will be more valid and be yeah. taken more seriously if you intend to marry that person. So it's like, well, how has that moved us forward? How is that being progressive? Well, how would you feel if there was a form of marriage yes, or a form of civil partnership which allowed different types of like multiple partners and different categories of partner. Like if you could have a primary partner and a secondary partner and the three of you could be in a legal arrangement about that, how would you I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I would say as well, (laughs) I think that's hilarious and brilliant. And maybe that's a rom-com in the making. (laughs) Maybe we can write that film script. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's totally do it. I think as well, the the idea of you know being solo poly also is yeah. is to to not share finances, yeah. to not share it. You know, I live with yeah. a very close friend of mine. You know, we've known each other twenty years. We've never lived together, so now we're sharing a, a yeah. space. We don't have sex, um, yeah. but do you know what I mean? So I think in terms of solo poly, just getting out of that. The, the non-escalator form of yeah. relationship, which is you yes. meet that person, you'll date, and then you'll move in together, and then you'll get engaged, and then you'll and you then get you married. ascend to either heaven or the uh, yeah, exactly. uh, the lighting department on the first floor, <laughs> or purgatory or wherever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you but you get a couple of dogs, and you get a cat, and you know, yeah. do you know what I mean? Buy buy crockery together, and yeah. all of that. So I do think. Yeah, and a, a, a couple of friends of mine got married a couple of years ago, and they're in a in a polyamorous relationship. So now they're yeah. in a polyamorous marriage, and I think they kind of straddled the um, the terminology around that in a in a really yeah. fascinating way, acknowledging the fact that they were getting married, but they were going to marry on, the, on their own terms, and it right. wasn't going to be marriage as in monogamy, as in all these other yeah. things. But they were going to share, they were going to sign a certificate. But yeah. it felt quite radical, but also they were doing something that also felt quite traditional as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in those kind of spaces, that's also quite interesting to have something, you know, a conversation which might have many, many different layers and, yeah. and nuances to it. So it isn't just one thing all the time. Well, I just really want to thank you I think we should draw it to a close I mean you're so good at explaining all of these things which I think a lot of people find really intimidating to explain and sometimes really hard to understand and we have to like it's like we have to like um explain ourselves all the time um Mm. whether it's to do with um 
like the poly stuff, which I am included in, or the non-binary stuff, which is your experience. Yes. Um, you know, like it, you're just really great at explaining it and um, helping us get to a world of free sex. <laughs> so yes, thank yes, you, yes, Libro. yes. Hopefully, hopefully. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon. Hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 